Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We are here to talk about the final week of our Our Worlds at War. Some people said we'd never get here, but here we are. Um, in the last two episodes, we've we've talked about how the series was perhaps not the most well constructed in terms of like a a main through line and and tie-ins and just feeling like a it felt very disjointed. Now that we have come to the end of it, did we feel that the third week tied it all together? The third batch, rather, tied it all together? Or do we still feel the event's a little bit disjointed? And, uh, Zach, I'm going to start with you. I think it's a little bit disjointed. I think it... I liked this week the best, I think. Uh, um, but... I... I, I would I wouldn't say it's less that it's disjointed and it's more that it just doesn't have a very strong ending. It 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 doesn't really feel like it's doing much, if that makes sense. Yeah, to me this very much felt like as if we read a book without reading the main story. We just read the tie ins. Yeah. Which it's funny how, like, so, you know, we t- talked last week about, you know, like, what we would consider essential. And obviously, I think the four main Superman books each each week are kind of essential. But then you have the Wonder Woman issue this week that is listed after the event really kind of ends. And it's just kind of catching up on, you know, what Wonder Woman was doing during those Superman issues. But it kind of, um, you know condenses everything from those superman issues and and kind of summarizes the events of that of those four superman issues really yeah it's almost Um, really it's almost the only issue you need of these it (laughs) almost kind of is yeah it sort of tells the same story the best of them too well it's it's wordy as fuck but we'll get to that in a a little bit um yeah vince what did you think of this the last third of this i I didn't think it was disjointed anymore. I think it came together kind of nicely. If you quickly sort out which are the essential issues and which aren't. So what I mean by that is I think it comes together and I, I think there's a really strong ending to this event. I think it's a good event overall. I think especially this week, the tie-ins that had very little to do with it had almost nothing to do with it. And so if you talk about just the Superman books, the Wonder Woman book, really that's kind of all you need. <laughs> like, well, Yes. To, a, to yeah. a small degree, the Harley book. Yes. Yeah, and yes, but I, I think you could skip that. But, but you, it's a, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get like one key part from the last Superman issue. Yeah. yeah. And, right, and, and right. maybe you kind of need the Flash story because it talks about taking out the, all the parademons. And I like, almost think you don't. I mean, not like, needed, that's but, not even referenced. No, I guess that's true. Um, but but, but I, I guess my go my ahead. point my point is the Superman books and the Wonder Woman book are the event. If yeah. you read that, you'd be good to go. And I think that for the most part, those are legitimately good issues, with a minor quibble here and there. Yeah. Um, I think that this has been the story all along, but like the Young Justice tie-ins, the Supergirl tie-ins, just basically worthless. Yes. Well, it's kind of funny how the Young Justice books kind of go in to form this like mini mini series within the event, but then yes. even that isn't resolved. <laughs> well, yeah, even that's yeah. it's not resolved, and it's not very integral to the happenings of the event either. Yeah. No, it's not. So I, I kind of wanted to structure our conversation this week a little bit differently. Um, with your permission, can we just say that Supergirl number sixty-one and Batman five ninety-four have nothing to do with this event? We don't have to talk about them at all. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You cool with that, Vincey? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Cause those, the, the less said about the Supergirls, the better. Yeah, those, those issues just had they had nothing to do at all with our worlds at war. There's no reason to talk about them. Um, and then I kind of want to start by talking about the Young Justice stuff just very briefly, and then we'll dig into the more important stuff. 
Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so uh, this sort of the Young Justice story kicks off in Young Justice 36 by Peter David and Todd Nock, 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 um, and it, I understand why Peter David structured this issue the way he did, which begins in the middle of an argument between Robin and Superboy. And at first I felt like, wait a minute, did I skip an issue here? Because I don't remember this happening. But then we jump backwards and we see like the beginning of this argument. And I understand <sighs> that they do that to make the reveal that they're going after Steel mean more when it happens later in the issue. But was anybody else just thinking that was a really weird way to approach the story? Yeah, it's the same complaint I had with that uh, Steel issue last week that did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. it's very weird in this because the the transitions are so jarring, you know, and the, the, we spend the first six pages or so kind of like tying into Tower of Babel, which is bizarre. Yes. <laughs> um, like the follow-up from Tower of Babel, the Mark Wade Justice League story. And then you jump back to how they got there right kind of like what the events that led to the crash and then it picks back up at the end with the robin team isn't that kind of how this issue goes yes yeah yeah it it's very weird yeah we we also see in this issue and again i'm gonna put death in quotes because i don't really know but we see the death of young Lobo in this issue, um, which there's a lot of black racer in this week. And in this issue, Lobo decides he's going to beat the black racer and instead he's killed by an army of parademons. Um, I don't know if he stays dead or not. I don't I don't I'm not up on my young Lobo lore enough. Um, anything else to say about this issue? No. OK, so no. then we get. Um, Impulse 77, written by Todd DeZago and illustrated by Carlo Barberi. And this is one of the many issues this week that is overly narrated, where there's just so much narration given because I guess they don't know what they want to say from the characters' mouths. They just give you this, like, this very, very lazy narration written in there. Uh, this is technically the second part of the story from the Young Justice issue, but almost nothing new happens in this issue whatsoever. A lot of it's just recap of what we just saw, and it sort of leaves everything just hanging there. I don't know, man. What was this issue? Um, not very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, it was basically it was just basically it only exists to explain, I think, where Steel went. Yes. And that and that steel is being delivered directly to Darkseid. Yes. And yeah, and Bard is displaying some new powers that like he can send basically... out scouts of himself. But yes, yeah. It he... also it, it affects him if they get hurt or something. Yeah, because one of them gets killed, and Bart like basically shuts down and has a a seizure or something of the like. Yeah. Whatever. Um. Yeah, I the Carlo Barberi art, I I continue to like it, but yeah, yeah. Um, Zach, anything to add about this? Mm -hmm. Okay, then we get Superboy ninety one, written by Joe Kelly, illustrated by Pascal Ferry. A couple of notes on this. First of all, <laughs> this again has the worst line of the week, which is this is an actual written bit of, of storytelling that says to pose it musically who let the super dog out oh don't is, do crypto like that it's really bad um i had heard that joe kelly was a good writer for all these years but this issue makes me seriously doubt anything i've ever heard positive about <laughs> joe kelly this is such so, a piece of shit issue it i think it's funny because in in our reading order i'm pretty sure his action comics issue comes right after this, which yes. is like the finale, and it's good. Yes, it is good. And like I've read good Joe Kelly. I think, I mean, there's there's like 
three running stories in this. And yes, like there is that awful line in the crypto story and the Superboy one, I think is like per- particularly egregious. I just think no one, no one can write good like teen dialogue and, and Superboy is such a caricature of what a teenager is anyway. It's just, it's awful. It's unbearable. The, the guardian story is, is fine. It's whatever. Um, oh, that that one's a, that one's basically so the, him writing letters to to parents of soldiers who died. Yeah, but last and time so we saw him, he was like eight years old. <laughs> sure, these are all kind of written as letters or transmissions reflecting upon these characters' times in the Our Worlds at War story. And I just don't. Anytime I see an issue that's kind of structured that way, um, or or like. Anytime there's a there's an issue that's dedicated to reflection on events, I always think it's a little overplayed or, or unnecessary. Or th- this is where they really start to try to make our worlds at war feel like an actual like global war, where like these are soldiers fighting in a war, writing back to their loved ones, shit like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, it just always I've said this before on the show, but it always rubs me the wrong way to compare what's going on in a superhero comic to actual war. Yes. When every week characters are punching one another across the planet, you know, like it just, it never rings true to me. It always comes off as hacky. And, um, I felt that about this issue in a big way. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, so, we joke on this show a lot about nut faces. <laughs> Every face in this comic is a nut face, essentially. Uh, I tweeted from the DC Cast account that even the silhouetted faces are nut faces in this issue. Um, we're, we're getting called out on on Twitter for all of for how nut face heavy we are. Well, do you guys have to tweet <laughs> other things than my nut face tweets, and that's and we'll solve this. Um, I I don't remember the login. Oh yeah, sure you do. Uh, but so the, but the, uh, the other thing it does is crypto has like six nut faces in this issue. I didn't know dogs could have nut faces, but they can apparently. Um, yeah, this is just a shitty comic. This is really bad. Yeah. What if I start treating our DC three cast account like it's just my regular account, and so I would post just all the regular shit that I would normally post? I'm fine with that. Oh okay. I'm, all right, I'm gonna do that. That, that's, people it, people get mad at you for other reasons now. <laughs> no one's mad at us on the on the on the uh, for what we tweet. People might call us out on it. Who called us out on it, by the way? Uh, a friend of mine. Oh well, then oh. that's fine. <laughs> our, our our friends. Well, they're they're about to they're about to find out that there's a Cheeto in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so then, let's just let's let's round off some of these other inessential titles here. Um, let's talk about the Flash: Our World at War, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Angel Unzueta. Uh, this is more um, more Black Racer stuff. Uh, Unzueta's art: everyone is like grimacing and showing their teeth in every panel. It's a, the toothiest comic you've ever read. Um, this is the weird period of time when Vic Stone was in a clone's body and had like liquid robotics running through him. It's very strange. I, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's bad. Not, it's not bad. Yeah, he's kind of nice with it. Yeah, he's he's kind of nice with it. Um, <laughs> and he basically like he puts on battle armor, which is like the skimpiest shit you've ever seen, but it's great. Love it. Um. And this issue is, quote, important because uh, Vic and Wally take out all the parademons on Earth, which supposedly is going to, you know, help the cause. But as Zach pointed out, that is never referenced anywhere else. So I don't know how important it was. This also sees Vic Stone decide he wants to move to Central City and be a hero there because he's sick of L.A. Oh, yeah. Um, No more parties in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) there he is 
We knew he'd show up some point tonight. <laughs> Anything oh, else to say about God uh, damn. about Flash <laughs> about the Flash Our Worlds at War? No. Um I, no. I, yeah, I want does does Cyborg start showing up in John's flashbook after this? I don't know. I haven't read much of John's flash run from this era. The only thing I, I have know. to the only thing I have to say about this issue is that I, I, I felt like it was a fairly well-written issue in the style of John's at the time, but one that I cared very little about the events of, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, they do the typical John's tugging at your heartstrings, showing like a little kid in danger. Which is one mm-hmm. of his his big things, especially at this time. Like all of his books involved a child being separated from one of their parents, um, so that stuff was fine, you know, nothing too special. All right, and then we'll talk about the last inessential one, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Harley Quinn: Our Worlds at War, written by Carl Kiesel, illustrated by Aaron Wiesenfeld, Paul Grist, Paul Chadwick, Steve Lieber, and Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Um, this is really more of a Jimmy Olsen story than it is a Harley Quinn story, but apparently even even back in 2001, Harley Quinn's name sold comics. And so I was really surprised. Right? That this You, you even know what existed. surprised me? What? How much this felt like a modern Harley Quinn comic. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And I liked it. Yeah, this was good. Um, one of the things that we have learned in this read-through was how good of a writer Carl Kiesel was for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a good story. I love Paul Grist's artwork, and I, I like yes. this chapter a lot. I re- there was a very good goof in this. So there's a group called the Henchmen that were all like henchmen for big bat villains. There's a Joker henchman, a Riddler henchman, and there's one guy who was a Calendar Man henchman, but that they introduced him as being, is it Kite Man's? Henchman, he's like Calendar Man. It's Ma, been uh, Firefly. It's, Firefly. He's or like, Moth Man. Yeah, he's like, like, like it's it's been eight months. Killer nine, Moth. Yeah. Who it was. He's like, it's been eight years, nine months, twelve days. You don't know that. Like, it was a good Calendar Man goof <laughs> in that yeah. in that bit there. I really enjoyed that. Yes, very much. Um, but good art in this. Uh, pretty fun, and um, I feel like this did a nice job of balancing Harley Quinn. The psychopath with Harley Quinn, the sort of fun character. I think sometimes now that balance gets thrown off sometimes, but this this had that in a this was a good balance of those things. Yeah, yeah, and the art yeah. was really good. Yeah, yeah, the art was really good. I mean, who who knew that Steve Lieber was doing his Jimmy Olsen thing all the way back here? It, yeah, and he kind of looks sim- like Lieber's art is a little different, a little cleaner now, I think, but, um, kind of, kind of looks like the same Jimmy Olsen almost. Yeah. And, uh, and same with, uh, Amanda Connor, her characters. It's, it's definitely her same style. She just maybe is a little cleaner these days with it. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that, that the artists of both a current Harley Quinn title and a current Jimmy Olsen title drew those characters 19 years ago Mm -hmm. in the same book. Yeah, it's wild. Who knew? Yeah. And yeah, it is it is legitimately it's a fun ride. The the voice, I was just like Zach, I was surprised at how much this felt like a Harley Quinn comic that we get almost every week <laughs> uh these days. And and it was good. Yeah, I thought every event should have like one of these books that's a little irreverent and funny that go alongside um, the, the you know the sort of the more serious main story. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back. We'll talk about the Superman and Wonder Woman issues that close out Marvel's of War. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back. So first up, we have Superman number 173, written by Jeff Loeb, illustrated by Ed McGinnis, with one page by Bill Sienkiewicz. And we'll talk about that one page in a minute. I think it's actually a double-page spread in this issue. But... Um, this issue, be, once again, features a speech. It's JFK's uh, inaugural speech. And there's a bunch of hokey, like, I want you, Uncle Sam imagery on the first few pages. But because it's Ed McGinnis drawing it, I don't really have a problem with it. <laughs> it's it's fun yeah. enough. Um, this issue uh, introduces a couple of, of plot points that would become essential for the end of this event. Uh we spend some time with this character, the strange visitor who looks a lot like the electric blue Superman character. We don't know much about her and I'm sure this is a bigger part of the Superman books, but I'm again, this is not a run I've read very much from, but we see that it's actually the character Kismet, which is a very old character. I I believe from the forties or fifties were the first Kismet DC stories. Um, And, the the page where you sort of realize what's going on it's this double page spread beautifully il- illustrated by Bill Sienkiewicz and uh that page was a huge standout for me in this just because his art is so different than Ed McGuinness's art so you you're really pulled out of the story in a good way to be given this little bit of kismet story and um the character sacrifices themselves to basically further the war at this point. And at the end of the issue, we see the planet war world emerge again. Uh, what'd you guys think of this issue? Uh, I, I, I think the Superman issues in this are good. I think that this is pretty good. I love that, that Bill Sienkiewicz page. Um, I, I think that this is correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time in an event so far that we've read where they really do a thing like that, where, where they'll do like one page that's wildly different to make some sort of artistic point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you see more and more in comics today or in the recent past where they, where, you know, they push the narrative with different art styles or art styles you wouldn't expect in a DC or Marvel comic showing up in a DC or Marvel comic. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is pretty ahead of its time because ordinarily this art would be, um, sort of cubicled away in its own, uh, boutique line or, or title somewhere, kind of a fringe thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but here it is in, in, in an event comic. So I thought that was pretty special. Zach, any thoughts on this issue? I mean, I I, I liked it. Um, kind of like Ben said, I think all of the Superman issues are, are good uh, this week. And um, I particularly liked the bit with Strange Visitor. You know, I love Electric Blue Superman. So the, you know, getting a kind of a reimagining of that here is good. So, um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that issue, I suppose. All right. So next up is adventures of Superman number five ninety five, written by Joe Casey, illustrated by the great late, great Mike Waringo. So this issue, the majority of this issue is a battle between Superman and dark side and we've seen Superman and Darkseid fight each other any number of times. That's nothing new necessarily. But this this battle is they do a really good job of making this battle seem super important. And because Superman has lost his cape 
and because they're both sort of desperate, the battle just seems it doesn't seem as classically DC as what you're used to. It's a lot more of like heat version heat vision versus omega beams and just like I don't know, it, it just it felt very different. But this issue also features uh Lena Luthor, Lex's daughter betraying him and going to uh, the side of Brainiac 13. We see some stuff with General Zod. We see some stuff with Darkseid's other child, whose name is now escaping me, but it'll come to me in one second. Um, oh, yeah. Graven. Graven, Graven, yes. Yeah. And we get a totally different-looking Bill Sienkiewicz page. Um, mm-hmm. Really different than the last issue's page, but this one is equally impressive and really cool. And, um, yeah. Zach, what do you think of this issue? Um, I liked this issue a lot. Um the art of course is very good um waringo is just just top notch um and um the stuff with uh the stuff with dark side is really good like you mentioned um i'm trying to remember specifically kind of like what the the major story beats were in this one this one had to do with um was this where like Lexus Tower like the beam flew out and hit Warworld or mm. not or, uh, or hit Apocalypse I mean that might be the next one okay okay let me look okay, lot... I'm just flipping through it this this is the fight between Clark and Darkseid and also the bit with Lex and his daughter. It's almost like I just described all that in the wrap up to this, but <laughs> well, sure. I know, but I thought I thought there might have been more. I just thought there was more to this issue than that. Um, well, that fight takes up a good bit of it. It um, does, yeah, yeah, it and does, yeah. Waringo is really the perfect person to 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 do that. I think. Um, I I love watching Micro Wingo draw like a big fight scene. I love how at times in the fight. Superman and Darkseid are locked in battle almost like wrestlers. Yep. Like there's a there's a particular panel where like they've got one high one hand high, one hand low, and they're like about to grapple. And I think I yeah, it's just it's so striking and the posing is just wonderfully done. Um Yeah. It, the art is really good and carries this issue. I don't I don't think it's a bad issue, but it's kind of just like you know the end of the Superman issue gives a, gives a big status quo change with, you know, kind of eliminating Imperiax and revealing Brainiac to be the big bad, the actual, or the new big bad. And, and then this issue is kind of pivoting that energy into the, the final leg of the story. And, and it does a good job. And I, I think where Ringo's art really carries it through and, and makes it even better. Yeah, my one note on this is I, I feel like maybe one of the reasons that this event to me does not does, does not hold the same uh, enjoyment as some other events. I feel like because the event begins with it's an Imperiax as the villain and then it shifts to Brainiac and then it's sort of both of them, it just I don't think there's a very clear like linear story to this event. Or it's not as clear as I wish it was. And this issue sort of points to that being a problem, perhaps. And it's almost like they're trying to, like, gin up some intrigue about who the real villain really is when when I don't think you you needed that mystery to tell this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think as a a straightforward, like, hero versus villains – story it, it would have really worked without trying to do that dance well it, it also wasn't a very good mystery because it was really telegraphed from the beginning yeah like Bra- brainiac had his hands in this like the whole time right um and has kind of been in the background so. and if they weren't going for mystery then i don't know what they were going for so yeah 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 you're right all right well let's move on to the third superman issue uh, of this of this run, and by the way, I know it's been a long time since we had four Superman books, but I kind of miss that. 
I yeah. liked I liked the four Superman era. Um, so this is Superman: The Men of Steel number one seventeen, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Doug Monkey. This issue we spend some time with Maxima and the others, I believe they're called, which is like her team in space, and she eventually uh, sacrifices herself and her team as part of this effort. And this is where the, the the event gets really interesting to me, in that we see all these disparate groups within DC coming together. You know, I, I know that a staple of crisis era of crisis style books are like the um, the sort of team ups you didn't see coming, right? That's that's you always see that sort of stuff. But here in this issue, rather in this event, we get like the Amazonians, we get the uh, the new gods, we get sort of Maxima and these like forgotten '90s characters. We get Luthor, we get Zod, we get. There's, there's just so many. There's so many characters working together here. I really enjoyed that. Um, this also sees like the debut of the heavy hitters. There's four of them. It's Captain Marvel, Captain Adam, Superman, and Wonder Woman who are who act as like the cavalry here, but they do absolutely nothing. <laughs> They're basically just <laughs> yeah. a, a distraction. But you see, like when I first saw those four heroes, I was like, holy shit! Like that's. That's about as big as you get in the that's DC the crew. universe. Yeah, that's you know that's yeah. what that's who you'd call in for the biggest stuff, and they don't really do anything here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but this issue, this, yeah, this issue also sees the return of Steel in that like Imperiex suit that Darkseid was making on Apocalypse. So Steel is not dead. Uh, he's he's here. He's good again. Um, and we see that sort of that that big band of heroes. They are distracting Brainiac with a fight on Warworld while we see, and we see this a couple of times, and it'll be explained more later, we see Paradise Island in space as, like, the shield <laughs> blocking the Earth from this, from the Warworld, uh, you know, weapon or whatever. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little while, but that's wild. Um then we see the second double cross, Lana Luthor, going back with her, or, or rather being, I guess, being tempted to go back with her father. I don't think we actually see her come back to him just yet. Um, I, I want to point out the Doug Monkey art here is very good, and there are some panels that look very much like 2020 Doug Monkey art, but you you still see he's he's sort of just figuring out who he is as an artist. This is still very good, but it's not quite the monkey we're used to now. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else on this issue, boys? Steel coming back was good. Um, this this is. I feel like this month or the this uh, set of issues is where things really start to go like full bore crisis mode. Yes. And we'll get into that a bit in the last issue. Uh, but you know, having, having those four characters that you mentioned, those are kind of like the go-to, especially like Superman, Captain Adam, Captain Marvel. Those are like the event characters, you know, yeah, for yeah. DC up to this point. And so it really, um, started to take on uh just in terms of like the stakes and the scope and everything uh a much more of a crisis vibe i think there's one uh, panel i pulled out in particular where a steel says listen if b13 which by the way everyone decides just to start calling brainiac <laughs> b13 at some point you just have to be uh-huh. you have to be cool with it but he said listen if b13 succeeds in joining war world and apocalypse with the geodynamic power of the earth is amplified through the lex tower it's all over that's like a classic yeah. DC event sentence that makes no sense. Yeah. But makes absolutely. total sense in the context. But makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I was going to yeah, say about this, I'm sorry, Vince, the one last thing I want to say about this was just that this also sees the classic Brainiac trope of trying to be, trying to appeal to Superman's logic of saying, like, look, the world's fucked up. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to order it. That's a very Brainiac thing to do. Mm-hmm. We get that here. Sorry, Vince, you go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, yeah. As soon as the, as soon as that, um, Brainiac thirteen tendril gets shot out at Earth, that's, that's where this event to me really like, sold the oh shit, this is a, this is a massive scale thing, and I think they, I think they sold that really well. It just, 
took so long for them to focus uh, on that to get to this point. But th- this is where I think it really starts coming together well, and that that goes into the next issue too, um, and the Wonder Woman one because some of this stuff is kind of happening concurrently. But like, as soon as you know Maxima is sacrificing herself and Themyscira is sh- throwing Paradise Island at the problem, like I-, I think those are pretty damn good stakes, and and some of the more interesting. Uh, kind of resolutions to a problem we've seen in one of these events so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, now, do you guys want to talk about wonder woman first or action comics first? Well, there's stuff in wonder woman that kind of spoils action. Yeah. Let's just talk about action. Cause that was the reading order. So, okay. Um, so action comics, seven, eight, two written by Joe Kelly, illustrated by Kano. And this issue, so first of all, we see Superman fly into the sun and, like, supercharge himself for this battle. And when he comes back, he's just chanting, like, kill, kill, kill. He's like a he's like a new metal band or something uh, this whole time. And eventually he snaps out of that, but I, I was rolling my eyes big time at that point. I just felt like I know the point of doing that is for Superman to realize he shouldn't be doing that. But it just felt so 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 cheesy and telegraphed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I this whole event has kind of been about like Superman losing himself in the war, and so I kind of forgive it for that a little bit. Like it was very kind of on the nose and very ham-fisted, and I don't really understand how him going into the sun just like made him go into berserker mode um but for i mean for the most part i kind of thought it worked um i didn't hate it this issue also brings back something we saw very early on which was um tempest in that jla issue from the first week Tempest teleports Aquaman and um, all of Atlantis away from danger, but doesn't know where he teleported them. And that's the last we saw of Tempest for a while. Then Tempest is reintroduced here, like basically in one panel as the most important character in this event. (laughs) Because he, he is used to teleport War World like through a boom tube. And it's really the Wonder Woman issue gives it a little bit more context, but he's just brought out of this kind of out of nowhere into this incredibly important role. Um, it was a little bit jarring. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It had big, like last issue of a crossover energy to me, um, <laughs> which I like, I honestly like kind of, you know, being a big fan of final crisis. I really like when events do this, it doesn't really bother me. Um, and I, I think Tempest is a really cool character, um, and like, I feel like he's very underutilized. And so I, I was really down with this too. I, I liked this a lot, and it gets flushed out a bit in the uh, Wonder Woman issue too. So um, uh, I'll be excited to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so the, the the whole plan here hinges on a couple of things. So Superman. He moves War World, like, just, like, pushes it into this boom tube that is then teleported along with Imperiax and the Brainiac 13 back to the moment right after the Big Bang and creates, like, a second Big Bang that creates a universe that Brainiac's consciousness is spread throughout. And I guess it's basically they're making a universe for Imperiax to just fuck around in. Right? Yeah. Well, yes. And I mean, like, so the way I read this is like, this should have been like a crisis universe altering event because they basically like incorporated Imperiax and Brainiac into like the fabric of reality, basically. Was this, uh, I couldn't tell 
if this was supposed to be our universe or a different universe. I mean, there's like technically I know they like mentioned other universes earlier in the series, but like this is the point in DC where there is only one Earth. But but what I mean is that like does that Big Bang create a second universe? I don't know. I mean, it's not in, it's not in the text. Yeah. Vincent? As far as I know, we've never seen it again, right? No, I, I mean, like, I think some, like, Darkseid, I think, references the fact that they've made, or somebody references the fact that they've, like, potentially made the universe worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that solution to that problem, though. I love that it uses, um, it's almost like a game of mousetrap, where it uses, like, these different players in our worlds at war to kind of set up this uh, Rube Goldberg machine to solve their problem in the most ridiculous comic booky way uh, imaginable. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it, even if it doesn't, even if it's not totally clear and it doesn't make logical sense. Like it's 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 so over the top. It's good to me. <laughs> And uh, and also what I like is I like the fallout where, um, you know, Superman is talking to Lex after the fallout and Darkseid is kind of pondering what comes next. I think that that stuff is um, is well written and compelling uh, to see, especially Darkseid. Well, like Zach said, something about, you know. The, the we've made the universe worse or something like that and wondering what tomorrow will bring um i thought that that part was was pretty well done nice bit of writing there yeah overall i i think that one of the one of the problems with with this event on paper is that there wasn't one sort of guiding voice in writing it but i think this is a time when the super books did a pretty good job of maintaining a consistent-ish tone across all of them. So I think that while I would have liked maybe a more authoritative voice as sort of the the head writer for this, I, I do think that this issue does a good job of sort of tying up a lot of the bits that were introduced across all of these titles. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. All right, anything else to say about this issue? Not really. Okay, so we are coming then to Wonder Woman number 173, written and illustrated by Phil Jimenez. And so we've talked about this before. One of the knocks on Jimenez is that his work is very wordy, and this issue is like 80% narration. There's a lot of narration. At one point, I, I said to myself, all right, we have to be getting near the end of this issue. And I was on page 12 because there was just <laughs> there's so much narration and talking here. But this this brings a lot of the stuff that we saw in action comics more to the forefront and it makes us understand it a little bit more. Like I said before, everything with Tempest and Donna Troy gets fleshed out a little bit here. We see um, we see Steve Trevor basically like open his mouth and take in all of this energy, and then I guess he like spits it into space. I don't know what the fuck was supposed to be happening there. Vince, is that something that happened a lot at this time in Wonder Woman stories? Uh no. <laughs> Can you explain no, to but... us what you think that was? <laughs> no, I can't. I, you, you did just as well as I could. It's very weird. Um, I will say that I, I got, I, as I read Wonder Woman a few years back, I got the sense that at this point they didn't really know what to do with Steve. Um, I believe he was still with Etta yeah, he, he at says, this time. He says in this issue, like, Diana asks him if he's okay, and he's like, as long as I have Etta by my side, I'll be fine. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And um, he's, like, older... He's like visibly older, you know, he's got like a receding hairline in this. And 
I just think at this time, like, he was not so much a part of the action, but yet they would bring him in every once in a while. And, yeah, I don't know. It, it always felt weird. Certainly never this weird. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it always, there was a distinct feeling that they just didn't know what to do with him once he wasn't a romantic interest for, right. um, for Diana or that the, the um, romantic in- interest with Etta had been, you know, fully material materialized. After that, they just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Zach, what do you think of this issue? I actually really, really like this Wonder Woman issue, um, even though it does just kind of like recap a lot of things from the last two Superman issues. I, I mean, the Jimenez art was great. It fleshed out the stuff with um, all the Amazons and um, Tempest and actually showed that like Raven had a part in this too, which Mm -hmm. is not touched on, I think at all in Superman books. Um, And uh, Raven has a weird gold costume at this point, which I didn't know about. Um, But no, I I liked this issue a lot. Um, I kind of think you could have just read this and gotten gotten the same amount of it and not that the superman issues were bad but this was as good and and kind of condensed it down in a way that was equally enjoyable i kind of like i i don't know when you have these event comics that kind of just like tell the same story from a different point of view it it sometimes annoys me but i thought that this was really well done so it, it didn't really bother me yeah i love the art a lot again just you know, anytime even yep. as is drawing, it, the art is so good. Clearly doing a, a Perez riff again. Um, lots of Perez love in in uh, Jimenez's uh, Wonder Woman run. This issue, I don't know if you guys remember this, but this issue starts off the exact same way that War of the Gods does with the, um, what do you call them? the the um those like god those like witch gods the um yeah oh, the, yes, the yeah. fates the fates thank you yeah that was the word i was looking for um it begins the exact same way so it's a, clearly a an homage and um there's a lot of different visual sorts of homages throughout that are that are pretty good if you know perez's wonder woman so Yes, I thought this was a very enjoyable read, even though it was definitely wordy, for sure. All right, that brings us to our final issue of the uh, of the event, which is uh, World's Finest, Our Worlds at War, which I think if it were in 2020, it would be called Trinity, Our Worlds at War, because Wonder Woman's almost as important in this as Superman and Batman are. Um, well... Batman, Superman and Batman aren't even the world's finest, Brian. That's yeah. true. All the sol- every every soldier is, <laughs> um, which is funny to me because um, this is just I, I I think I saw Vince on Farmers Only pointing out that all of this came out right around nine eleven. And there's some definite, like, what I would consider, like, post-9-11 language in this issue, but it had to have been written before 9-11. Right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, this issue was written by Jeff Loeb, illustrated by Deep Breath here, Mike Waringo, Doug Monkey, Phil Jimenez, Mark Buckingham, Bill Sienkiewicz, Yvel Guiche, Pascal Ferry, Todd Nock, Duncan Rouleau, and Ed McGuinness. Quite the quite the artistic murderer's row here. Um, so this issue just basically is used to tie up any loose ends from the event. We see Clark, Diana, and Bruce just sort of each handling this of the fallout from this in their own way. We see Bruce have a really hard time with the fact that Young Justice is missing at this point, and. Uh, it really leans into the idea him, you know, losing Robbins in the past. Uh, you see him very much struggling with that. Um, we see them create this bizarre, like, 
holographic statue of one of Aquaman <laughs> to like let as a beacon. Yeah, a, a, as a beacon, exactly. Um, which this leads to one of the weirdest bits of dialogue in any of these comics so far, which is Diana is talking about him. And she says, having been a princess, I am proud to call him king. And as a woman, I, I'll i let him know what I think when I see him again. <laughs> she basically says, like, can't wait to fuck Aquaman. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to jump his bones. going to show him yeah. my seven Cs. Yeah. Oh, Which, you know, I guess he and, he and Mara aren't married at this point. Yeah, this so is when he's on the game. Outs, yeah. So then we see seven C's. Now that would be a wet ass. <laughs> Very much in the zeitgeist right now, you guys. Yes, I can, I can say that. Yes, you can. Um, so then we see the Titans, and they're at the lighthouse of Aquaman's youth. And at this point, the Titans are the original Teen Titans. Uh, so it's Arsenal, Tempest, uh, Donna Troy, and Nightwing, and Wally yeah. shows what. If this is if this is the Mark Wade Alex Ross Titans, I'll read it. <laughs> yes, agreed. Uh, Room or Mill. Um, so we see Wally show up, and uh, <laughs> Wally says, "Like, so, dude, if Aquaman's missing, does that make you the new Aquaman?" And both Donna and Garth look as shocked as anyone has ever looked in a comic book at this <laughs> at this suggestion. Uh, very funny to me. Uh, then we get the uh, the Joe Biden hour where we see uh, Wildcat, on, man. Green Lantern, uh, Alan Scott, and Jay Garrick, the Flash, playing cards, and they're basically talking about what a what a swell looker uh, Hippolyta was. Their dead cohort. Yeah. Uh, she could she could really turn some heads. Yeah. Gave me a throbbing bona. <laughs> and yeah, they're like using terms like broads. Yeah. Wildcat says like, Wildcat's like, gams. You, could, you could call her a broad and she wouldn't care because she's cool like that. Like it's, it's a weird, yeah. it's a very weird scene. But Sam yeah, comes Jay alluding oh, to the hell, fact that he maybe, he, he would have maybe been tempted to cheat on his wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I I shouldn't have said that. Oh, yeah. hell. Oh, sh- oh, shucks and all. Um, but yeah, but then Sam comes by and is like, "Guys, we're gonna we're having a memorial for her. You're talking about boning her in this room." And they're like, "Get away, kid!" And uh, they're all. And drunk. then Diana's basically like, "Oh, it's if she had been in there, she would have been doing the same thing." Yeah, exactly, that, yeah. that makes it okay. Who wrote this, by the way? Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb. Yeah, yeah the whole thing. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, huh? it, it, <laughs> noted. Noted. Yep. Yeah, um, but yeah. So then we get that scene. So then we see uh, somebody, presumably Sergeant Rock, going to the grave of Sergeant Rock <laughs> and throwing a match away. Okay. Big. Big Nick Fury energy, yeah. MCU energy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, then we see uh, Superman and <laughs> what's so funny here? I'm just thinking about that dumb scene at the end of it, <laughs> is it Winter Soldier with Samuel Jackson like burning all his stuff or something? Sure, something like that. Yeah. I think yeah. All those movies yeah. blur together at a certain point. Uh, so we see um, Superman encountering Mon Gal. Which is like mongrels, uh, mongol, mongrel, mongol. <laughs> He's slurring his words. Yeah, I've I've had a coke and a half tonight. I'm really slurring my words. Uh, mongols, like female counterpart, and calling her mongal is just. I feel like that's such a silver age thing. I can't believe that happened in 2001, and not in 1963 or something. Um, but Superman gets really. What I don't like about this era is I feel like in this era, every writer takes Superman to the edge of being a dick and then has to pull him back from there. Yeah. And like, so he says here, like, uh, you know, put down the sword, Mongal, or I will put you down. Like, that's just not how Superman talks to me. I don't know. It just it just seems to me like th- there's this real there's this real edge lord energy sometimes that I just don't appreciate. Yeah, for for sure. Um, but this that happens, and then we see Clark and Diana uh, fly off, and they're at the 
I, I already forget this character's name. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Strange Visitor. Strange Visitor, yeah. yeah. Which I believe is a reference to the old Adventures of Superman introduction, which is they call Superman oh. a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Um, ah, but anyway, you would know. Yeah, I, 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 trust me, I know. Uh, so um, there's this character who apparently has appeared in one of these books before. I thought it was Jimmy Olsen when I first, first saw him because he's vaguely drawn like Jimmy Olsen. But he's mad that no one showed up to this strange visitor's memorial, and he yells at them. And then Clark and Diana are like, "Well, I, I guess he has the right to be upset. Let's lay this eternal flame. No one's here. Let's never talk about this character again. Goodbye." <laughs> yeah. Um. Then Clark forgets he's burying his father-in-law later that day, which seems like something you should probably remember. Um. He's a dick. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is some super dickery. Uh. We see um, Red Tornado, and he is trying to find Young Justice. And we yawn. <sighs> and uh, he finds Young Justice. They have they have survived. Uh, we don't see Lobo, so we presume Lobo is still dead on Apocalypse. Um, but we see Bruce very happy that Young Justice is back. Obviously, I should say this is also framed by a speech because that's what this event does. Um, we then go to General Lane's funeral, and we see Lois handed the flag by President Lex Luthor, and then we see Clark mysteriously disappear, and Superman fly in to pay his final respects as well. Um, Nobody notices. Nope. No one notices the funeral of, like, ten people is missing one of those people. <laughs> uh so then we we this the, the the book ends with Superman going to Kansas with Lois and Clark says everyone who fought especially your dad they were the world's finest. Uh in other words the world's finest were the friends we made along the way. Yeah. Um and then Superman says Smallville the farm my parents we won the war Lois, right? And he's questioning it and he's crying at the end. And that's where it ends. It's a pretty bleak fucking ending to this event. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if the Kents were actually dead. I presume they were not here. Uh, all, I don't think so. The Kents have been dead and not dead so many different times. It's hard to tell when those yeah. things are happening. Um, but what do you think about this issue? I really didn't like this issue. I thought this had had a much better ending and in action and wonder woman I, I thought that this was just not a satisfying epilogue in any way it doesn't in fact it kind of leaves things less wrapped up than at the end of the the main crossover in some ways i feel like it, it just kind of like calls attention to un, un unfinished threads and and proceeds to not tie them up i don't know <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same way. I felt like this issue was like maybe setting some stuff up for the status quo after our worlds at war. But then again, like it also didn't have that feel where they were like, Zach, you're right. There are some threads that are left kind of unfinished, but none of them feel like monumental enough to like, I don't, aside from the, Ma and Pa Kent, I'm not sure what questions I have going forward that I would really need to see resolved. Yeah, I mean, you know? and, the, and the ones you do have, like Aquaman's status quo, is not a is it's addressed, but it's not resolved in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not well. Was there was there a book spinning out of this then? That I don't, I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think you put that well, Zach. I think that in some ways, like the scenes that were the least consequential were the ones that made the most sense in this context. Like, I, I think that we can laugh all we want about the JSA scene, but I feel like having them pay their respects to Hippolyta is like a fallout from the event. Whether we think it was a good fallout from the event is a different story, but that is that is somewhat tying into something that happened in the event. I feel like some of this stuff is just 
Like the, the stuff with Mongal, yes, we know that like Maxima died, and that's what set that into motion. But was anybody wondering what's happening with with those characters? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't see the point of a lot of this. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there was even a super, uh, an Aquaman book at at this time. Um, it really felt like to me that they were gearing up to not have an Aquaman book. Not yeah. that they were going to like launch a new one, you know? This was the excuse to not have an Aquaman book. Right. Yeah, no, it looks like the Aquaman book had actually wrapped up the year prior in 2000. So there wasn't currently one. I want to say this might be the first time that this generation of characters were called just the Titans not the Teen mm. Titans. I think this might have been the start of that, which, you know, to a certain degree is still going on now. We, we, we tend to hear those characters, you know, between like Titans Hunt and we had that Rebirth Titans book. Um, you know, that's sort of what these characters are known by now, but I think, I think this might be the first time that there was a book called Titans with those characters in it. Okay. Around this time, at least. Um... Yeah, any other closing thoughts on Our Worlds at War? It was it was better in some ways than I expected and it was it was much worse in other ways than I expected. So it it was not at all what I expected, I'll say that. Well, what did you expect it to be? That that's an interesting place I, to go. I I kind of expected it to be more of like a big cosmic thing. I wasn't as I wasn't expecting it to be as like earth as earth centric as it was. Um, I was surprised by how little Batman there was. Um, that was kind of interesting. I, I, I just, um, I was definitely expecting it to be more like a, a cosmic y, um, not so earth centric event. Vince, you were, you initially pushed back a little bit against us doing this because you felt like this maybe wasn't no, no I, i'm not i'm not throwing shade here i'm i have a point to this like maybe you felt like this wasn't a big enough event for us to dedicate three weeks to now that you've read it i, I first of all i i think you're probably you were probably correcting your assessment but did your opinion of the event change at all having read it um n no because i think like of course, of course, we can't do this because, like, if none of us have... Well, I've never read the event, so if I didn't read the event uh, before this, I wouldn't know. But, like, looking back on it, I wish I could only read, like, the Superman books or the books that I knew tied in really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if you did that, you'd get a really good... You'd get a, really, a pretty good event out of it, you know? And I think it is a pretty good event. I just think... Like the Young Justice books, as much as I like those characters, the the, the younger group of characters, I, I think their books, their tie-ins to this just kind of sucked. And um, I, I think there is a good event in here, but there's there's so much fat. It's, it's a tale as old as time now with events and how much fat there is. Um, but I think that's, you know... If we could have somehow avoided that and condensed it into one week, maybe, or or two, that would have been great. But I'm not I'm not upset that I read it. I'm I'm glad I read it, even even with the couple crappy books in there. So what you're saying is we have to pay an intern to read the events before we read them and tell us. Now what to you're read? talking. Okay. Yeah. yeah Robert Malin, you're you're <laughs> on the hook here. That's coming out of your end of the, of the profits there, Vincey. Yep. Sure. Um, which is zero Buko box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, next time we're going to get into a book that no one's ever said anything bad about. And that's identity crisis <laughs> with our friend, Emily, uh, joining us, Emily from multiversity manga club, of course. And, um, I yeah. cannot wait. Oh God. It's going to be so much fun. This is going to be, this is going to be an episode boys. Uh, I don't exactly know what is going to happen but it's going to be something this will be the first event that i read as it was coming out that i have not revisited 
since it came out. I I can't wait to to see what comes of that. Zach, when did you first read Identity Crisis? Uh, it was later. It was like two thousand. 2009 or 2010 maybe even yeah i was was like it was probably 2009 yeah i was probably around there there was a period of time after i graduated from college in 04 when uh, a combination of finances and just you know life circumstances led to me not reading many comics for about five or five or six years there um and then I, I had gotten a part-time job that was next to a library that had, like, an amazing DC section. So I was just ta- I would take out every event book from the years I missed and just try and catch up. And some things that, like, I, like for instance, I foolishly took out all of Countdown from that library because I saw there were, like, five volumes of it. So that must be important. And so I, I picked them up, and uh, I'm st- still sorry to this day that I did that. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, having just reread it all for my Chronicles of Shazam column, fuck that book, always and forever. Um, but, you know, so I, I had read it probably as part of that, like, catch-up of all those years that I had missed. And, uh, yeah, I've only read it one time. I've skimmed it for a couple of multiversity things, just, like, to pull images or to, to recap what happened, like, to the Captain Marvel characters in there. But I'm very much looking forward to revisiting it as well. Um, this... This should be an, an episode for the ages. And so um, if you want to share your thoughts about Our Worlds at War, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact all of us via the DC3Cast Twitter account, at DC3Cast. But you can contact two-thirds of us personally. I am at Brian is an app. Zach, where are you? I am at Wilker Fox. If you have to get in touch with Vince, he is gathering his buddies and playing some poker and getting drunk and talking about all the broads he used to work with. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, hell. I uh, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said which part? <laughs> that's that's just my Joe Biden. Oh, okay. That's That's whenever I say that, that's Joe Biden. That's Joe Biden? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. Strap in for Identity Crisis, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. And then before they part, he whispers to her, Beavis' butthead son, and uh, credits roll. <laughs> <laughs>